0: scary basement. Each week, me and my friend Roxy are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, wherein lurks every scary thing that has ever been, including a revolting corpse with a bad attitude, a skeleton whose teeth are keys, a scarecrow stuffed not with straw but with bugs, and a beast from the east. That was a Goosebumps book. I'm Mikey McCollar. And I'm Roxy Polk. Roxy, let's start out as we always do with the scariest thing that happened to you this week. What went down in your life outside the scary basement that spooked you to your bones?
1: So, Mikey, how do you feel about clowns?
0: Oh, famously scared.
1: Yeah, uh so, have you ever been to the Clown Motel? No, I would do you never. You know about the Clown
0: Motel? I would I would sleep on a boulevard of a freeway before I slept in the Clown <laughs> Motel. What is the Clown Motel?
1: Uh, so the Clown Motel is a real place. And let me uh, read the little blurb about it to give you the background on it. Featuring clown-themed memorabilia throughout the reputedly haunted and eerie <laughs> Motel, or no, Highway 6, is located next to a old cemetery and is a 10-minute ten win- ten walk from a historic mining park. <laughs> It started in 1985 when siblings built the motel in memory of their father, who was a clown lover and left them a collection of 150 clowns in his home. So they decided, like, let's make a motel. I, it just says 150 clowns, generally. Uh, There's clown just a dolls, cage clowns, with, with 150 people. <laughs> we
0: miss our families.
1: That's why it's so haunted, Mikey, because they're, uh, they're all trapped. Uh. They're still... They're spirits, clown spirits, maybe, bind, binding them to these dolls. Um, but yeah, so they decided to be like, oh, yeah, I know. In memory of our father who loved clowns, let's make a spooky, <laughs> scary-ass clown motel that is next to a cemetery and make it a haunted location for people to come visit.
0: Uh, and, Roxy, let me guess. This is the thing that's scaring you most this week because it's the closest hotel to the anime convention you're going to this weekend. It's all you can stay in
1: yeah exactly yeah like it's the only place i can stay in uh, central nevada (laughs) that's where they host uh, (laughs) anime conventions
0: all jokes aside though like
1: i don't feel safe going to a convention of that kind like whether i'm tabling or attending i probably won't for like another year at least the restrictions and safety precautions at a lot of these places that i keep seeing repeatedly not following through on are more of a nightmare than the Clown Hotel, I'd say. Oh, but not me. Yeah, so not not only is the Clown Hotel haunted, the cemetery next to it is also haunted. So I can think of no <laughs> scarier place to exist on the planet than the Clown Hotel. And, and yeah, third I know of all, about it, the
0: Tommy's Chili Burger next door to the <laughs> cemetery, also haunted.
1: Also haunted, yeah.
0: <laughs> There's a break from the frozen yogurt place that is not haunted. But the uh, uh, men's warehouse next to that is haunted. We're back on to haunting.
1: Yeah, not, not every place is haunted, so that's why you don't know which one you're going to get, so you got to be careful. <laughs> is it every other store or is it every store? What about you, Mikey? What scared uh, Ro- you this week?
0: Roxy, I got scared by Annette Birkin from Resident Evil 2. Uh, oh! Annette Birkin is a, a character from uh, the video game Resident Evil 2. I've been speedrunning this game. Um, I just got a PC for the first time since college, pretty much. Uh, so like Dang 10 goodness. years since I've had... A PC and guys, we can play video
1: games together again. We can play PC games together. We can play retro games together now. It's huge. It is huge. But anyway, that's not a scary thing. One thing
0: thing I've forgotten about Resident Evil 2 is there are two moments where this character who's just like a normal woman in like a lab coat, she just like steps out very suddenly and like a cutscene starts. And I forget her every time. Like, I've literally played this game
1: so many times tens probably you of don't even thousands of times throughout yeah. my life,
0: without question and i forget her every time and <laughs> uh while i was streaming on twitch uh your friend in mind curiously kevin did cut out a link that we will put in the show notes he
1: did oh my of God. Me
0: getting my ass jump scared by again <laughs> a normal playstation one blocky graphics woman
1: I showed up to your stream right as that was happening one time too, and I was like, "What?" (laughs) Yeah, it happens every time. (laughs) Very stupid. Hey, sometimes you're not prepared for a woman in a lab coat, and she just sets you off. We've all been there. Listen, sometimes you're not
0: prepared for a woman in a lab coat, but one person I am always prepared for is the demon bot, and here he comes stomping on over with his robot hooves mikey and roxy
1: this week you were assigned the 1994 film interview with the vampire did you watch the film or your soul's forfeit
0: roxy i did watch interview with the vampire did you as well
1: yes i also watched the movie interview with the vampire not interview with a vampire which is what i thought it was until recently and might have even corrected you at the end of last episode thinking it was a not the (laughs) i can't remember
0: Wait. So, uh, what? What is it officially? It's the vampire.
1: Yes, interview with the vampire.
0: That's fucked up because there's like four vampires, and the yeah. And I would argue the vampire who gives the interview is not the main vampire.
1: Yeah, at the end of it. There's it a lot work. of vampires. I'm. Uh, this is yeah, messed. Yeah, it seems up. to. It seems to describe it as as if there was only one vampire. So that's why a vampire makes much more sense than the vampire. So who knows? I'm Take it up with this. Anne Rice, I guess. Why did she do it? I don't know. I'd like to know.
0: Anne Rice is here in the scary basement, and she will be very displeased to know you did not read her 1976 novel, which makes the answer clear.
1: Wait, Anne Rice <laughs> is down here, Mikey. What the implications would, for that? <laughs> Do we want I would to not think have about considered that? her a
0: scary monster, but she is here, I guess. that's Maybe she's <laughs> transcended
1: bad. from all of the books that she's read. She has become more than human from her experiences. I'll bet that's it. I'll
0: bet that's it. Her, she let her imagination take over her,
1: her true <laughs> she body. She <has> surpassed, yeah.
0: <laughs> Roxy, for anybody who has not seen Interview with the Vampire, what do you say we do a quick plot recap? I would absolutely love that. We open up with an interview with the Vampire. Lewis, a long-haired, vain-faced, sharp-fanged, Brad Pitt-looking man sits down with Christian Slater to tell him all the gory details of his life as a vampire.
1: Uh, he isn't Brad Pitt looking. He is Brad Pitt. He is <laughs> just Brad Pitt. For, <laughs> I, just, I,
0: I wanted to say that because I am so confident I'm going to call him Brad Pitt throughout this entire time we're talking about this movie. So I, I described the character as a Brad okay, Pitt looking gotcha, man.
1: <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Louie is Brad Pitt looking. Louie, <laughs> Of yes. course. Anyway. It all began in late 1700s when Louis, mourning his wife and daughter, is bitten and turned into a vampire by Lestat, a Tom Cruise-looking son of a bitch with wavy blonde hair and those same sharp fangs. He claims to be giving Louis the choice he never had been given, and Louis chooses to become a vampire, ostensibly of his own free will. As the pair grow closer, Lestat becomes irate that Louis will not kill and drink the blood of humans, instead of drinking only from rats and snakes.
0: Later, in New Orleans, Louis succumbs to hunger and feeds on a little girl, Claudia, whose mother has died of the plague. But before she died, Lestat turns Claudia into a vampire as well, an emotional manipulation done in hopes of keeping Louis by his side forever.
1: And it works. For a (laughs) while, Lestat, Louis, and Claudia become a happy family, traveling the world and feasting on mortals. But it's not long. Well, 30 years, but to a vampire that's barely kept coffee. Before Claudia realizes there's something wrong with her. She should be growing up, shouldn't she?
0: Claudia throws a tantrum, causing Louis to reveal her origins to her. It was Louis who killed Claudia, and then Lestat who turned her into a vampire. Both Louis and Lestat, therefore, are responsible. Claudia, to her chagrin, still loves Louis, but decides it's time to separate from Lestat. She then devises a plan to trick Lestat into drinking dead blood, the one thing. Vampires are not allowed to do. And then Claudia and Louis dump Lestat's body into the swamp to be eaten by an alligator.
1: But Lestat returns, looking like a (laughs) true monster. A guy shows up again, and this time it's Louis who ends Lestat, burning him to death, and the whole house with him. And, like, a huge chunk of New Orleans, even further. (laughs) As he and Claudia leave for Paris, ostensibly leaving Lestat behind for good.
0: And it's there, in Paris, where Louis meets Armand, an Antonio Banderas-looking vampire, who runs a theater company of vampires. When he and Claudia attend a performance, Louis describes the show as vampires pretending to be humans pretending to be vampires. How avant-garde, Claudia replies.
1: One of the vampire actors senses that Claudia and Louis killed one of their own kind, but Armand, who clearly wants to make out with Louis and turn him into his new companion tells them he knew Lestat well enough not to mourn his death.
0: Louis gets home to find Claudia, having sensed that Louis was pulling away, perhaps to go with Armand, has found a woman to be her new vampire mentor. This is an older lady, one who has lost a child and would surely love to have this forever baby who can never die. But since she's so little, Claudia cannot turn this woman on her own. So she demands that Louis do it for her. After much hand-wringing, Louis makes the woman a vampire and then tells Claudia it was not she who died in that room, but the last bit of my humanity. Very maudlin.
1: (laughs) And the second Claudia gets a new vampire mom, the theater vampires kidnap them all as punishment for killing Lestat. Louis is put into a coffin never to be opened again, while Claudia and vampire mom are put in a circular chamber where they cannot escape from the sun. Louis
0: is broken out of the coffin by Armand, but he is too late to save Claudia, and the sun has turned both her and her new vampire mom into ash. Louis then goes berserk on the theater vampires, either by slicing off their heads or burning them in their coffins. It's nuts, dude.
1: Armand picks up Louis and offers him the chance to become his new consort, and that together they can introduce Louis as a newer, softer vampire, a vampire that fits with the times, to Armand so he can also try and change with the times. In exchange, Armand will teach Louis to live without remorse, but our guy declines, deciding it's better to live with the pain of what he's done and will do, and goes on to travel the world alone for decades.
0: Eventually returning to New Orleans, Louis finds a broken down, decaying Lestat, surviving off of rat's blood, much like Louis himself used to do. Lestat tries to make the whole thing, where he turned a little girl into a vampire, good!
1: Are we good about this?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And asks... If Louis will rejoin him. But no. Louis is his own vampire now.
1: <laughs> Finally, as the interview ends, Christian Slater asks Louis to turn him into a vampire. And Louis is all, what well, the fuck were you even listening? <laughs> Louis leaves, and as Christian Slater drives home, he's attacked by Lestat, who bites him and says, I'm giving you the choice I never had.
0: And then that Rolling Stones song about being the devil plays, <laughs> informing us, the audience, that Lestat is the devil. Thanks for filling us in, movie. <laughs> and that roxy is interview with the vampire what a movie
1: that's interview with the vampire (laughs) i can't
0: tell if i like this movie or not it is there are times when it is so gleefully over the top and theatrical that like the least theatrical parts of this movie were the theater plays (laughs) that the vampires have amongst themselves it's very funny uh, I like it. Uh, it was a much quicker uh, walk around than last week when I tried to get around uh, my head around Annihilation. Uh, I like this movie just fine. What did yeah. you
1: think? I I saw this movie initially when I was in high school or something, and like didn't dislike it or anything, but I was kind of like, yeah, okay, that was a movie. But seeing it now, I'm just like, yeah it it is so much fun. It's so over the top. <laughs> like Tom Cruise's Lestat is great. <laughs> <laughs> he he's so much fun and just yeah this is co-written by Anne rice to a degree like she's credited but there's more writers on the project apparently Mm -hmm. so like she was helping to adapt her own work and the funny thing is is that she hated publicly hated having tom cruise playlist at and thought he was going to be terrible and to the point where she didn't even see the movie she was like i want nothing to do with the movie and like walked off the project but then later she watched a vhs of it and was like oh, he did a really good job. Oh, he actually, like, <laughs> read all of my books and did all this, like, research and everything and, like, actually embodied the character perfectly. And so then she publicly took out an ad in a magazine apologizing and saying how good he did and how good the movie
0: wow. was. Interesting.
1: Because, Which was very listen, funny.
0: <laughs> I can't tell if Tom Cruise gives the all-time greatest bad performance or the all-time worst good performance. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there are moments when he drops his accent entirely, and I kind of like it. Like, there are just, like, Mm. certain words where he just, like, gives up on having an accent, and I kind of like it. Like, it's clear he's having fun, and therefore it is fun to watch him have fun. But he's playing a character that is so, like, it's very Hannibal y, And I would almost argue, like, the Joker from The Dark Knight, in that he's not playing a character so much as he's playing, like, this embodiment of the force of evil. Yeah. And it's clear he's enjoying it. I'd
1: say there's an aspect to that.
0: And it, it, like, and again, the end of the movie is just like, uh, did you get it? He, he is the devil. Get ready, buddy. And I will say this ending that, like, Lestat is the devil, like, that's what kind of was the most interesting to me about this, like, time jumping movie that is moving forward. And the fact that they keep thinking they have defeated Lestat and he keeps coming back in various ways. Like, I kind of like this idea that we believe we'll defeat evil somehow. We will finally have a time wherein we figure it out, when we make things better, when even the vampires can become softer, gentler vampires, as embodied by Louis. But it's like, no, evil will always be here. It's this ever-present constant, and we must always be working to battle back against it as opposed to working to defeat it for good. Like, I kind of like that interesting little idea.
1: Yeah, I'd say that that idea is definitely in there. But then they also like to even turn on that, too. They're like, nothing is good or evil, things just happen in a way, too. Like... Mm. They make the point to be like, I don't know anything of hell. I don't know anything of heaven. All I know is what we're doing here, and <laughs> we have to still survive. I guess was that Lestat. It might have even been. It it might have been Lestat. It was either Lestat or Armand, or like both of them say something very similar
0: to mm-hmm. that. I believe because I would. Um, I would almost su- suggest that that is a, a manipulation.
1: Oh yeah. So the the thing about like. <laughs> louis and lestat's relationship it's incredibly toxic and Mm -hmm. like manipulative and super gaslighty apparently even more gaslighty in the books to the point where like they literally lestat makes them a vampire child so that louis won't leave him oh (laughs) the worst thing you can do like yeah this will save this marriage add a kid to the mix that's great i
0: love saving marriages with children i think it's (laughs) so smart and fun to do (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> notoriously always works. I think it's smart and fun. <laughs> oh, the worst thing ever. Uh, yeah. And, and honestly, the Hannibal comparison is even more apt here in thinking about the Hannibal TV show, because that is very much how the Hannibal-Will-Graham relationship is written. Mm. That there's this mm-hmm. evil like even puppet master isn't quite right it's like it's more like a puppet master who's gotten into your bloodstream it's just it's somebody who is so deep within you and is changing you from the outset like from the from the inside like that's so Mm. frightening to me like what's scary about Lestat is he's so charming which is why like of course Tom Cruise is the perfect person to play this he is like an objectively weird evil little guy but he's (laughs) So charming and likable that, like, of course I want him to play every hero in every movie. He's the hero archetype. He's a perfect listat.
1: He is, and, like, he is surprisingly vulnerable, too, because for all of Lestat's posturing and self-defense mechanisms and stuff that he uses to, like, push people away or dominate them so they can't leave him, he is just, mm-hmm. like, lonely and sad at his core. Like, he just doesn't want to be alone, and then he wants the people around him to do what he wants as well. So it's like, mm. he, he just wants, <laughs> he doesn't want to be alone. To the point where like when Louis sees him at the end where he just doesn't he say like I'll die if you leave me here or something mm-hmm. like to try and plead with Louis to save him at the end. And then with the first big fight like when Claudia decides to kill Lestat um, and brings the the like dead children and pretends that they're not dead. <laughs> Mm-hmm. He has a line that's like, "Oh, so we forgive each other?" And the way he looks at her, it's like really sad because you know what's about to happen. Even if you haven't uh-huh. seen the movie before, you can tell right. what's going to happen. So it's just read so like sad and pathetic. And how it's like, "Oh yeah, he he really just wants things to go back to the way they were. He wants them to be like a unit again. Actually, mm-hmm. he genuinely wants that, <laughs> even if he keeps doing things to the contrary of what would make that possible." Right. Uh, it almost. I
0: don't want to say he's a tragic figure because you don't get to he's play. He's pitiable.
1: He's pitiable.
0: Yes, I, I I feel like there's a cinematic rule that if you play the Rolling Stones, I am the devil song. Like you're not allowed to feel sympathy for that character. That's just that's <laughs> them saying he's the devil. But there is something really horrifying about like seeing your own behaviors and knowing that they're harming you and that you don't want to do it and just like you feel this compulsion, you can't help it. He hates himself so much that he. Instead of just being kind to Louis sometimes, he turns a child into a horrifying vampire to keep him. That's sad. That's almost like addict behavior, which is like a a whole other frightening uh, angle to delve into. Like, does Lestat have control over his own behavior? Or is he a slave to these feelings of inadequacy and therefore turning it outward into manipulation?
1: Yikes! Yeah, yeah. I mean, what? there's even that line too, right, right before that scene where, uh, she, she heel turns on him, where he, mm-hmm. like, digs in deeper about how, like, she wishes she could grow up, but she can't. And he said something about how, like, oh, did you bring me, like, a nice, pretty young woman with endowments that you'll never have? And, like, right. she, she makes a comment about, like, why would you be so hurtful? And, like, he doesn't respond. He just can't say anything, but the, like, expression yeah. on his face is like, Man, I shouldn't have said. Like, I went too far. I shouldn't have yeah. Said why that, did I'm not I say, that? say sorry? Because <laughs> I can't say sorry because then that admits that I lose <laughs> and I don't have power in this power play we're having right, right. now. So yeah, the, I think whole... it, it is emblematic of how like you, you can very often have behaviors that are contrary to the thing you want, and you kind of can't help yourself sometimes. I don't like it. It it sucks. <laughs> it's horrifying.
0: Roxy, do you think there's any any fruit growing on this tree? Do you think that vampirism okay. could in some way be a metaphor for sex?
1: <laughs> I don't know, Mikey. That's a good question. I think nobody has ever dealt with that in cinema or media before, ever. So it's a bold, this is, bold claim.
0: This is the sexiest movie of all time.
1: <laughs> they are just like constantly having sex. It is. I don't sex. know why it like didn't register. They all
0: want to have sex?
1: <laughs> it didn't register to be like as a kid. I don't know why I didn't. I was just like, yeah, they're just like that. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like I do really like thought touchy. consciously about how, like, yeah, this is really gay. Yeah, this is really kind of, like, romantically and <laughs> sexually charged. Uh,
0: this movie is... I honestly is... can't
1: remember what I thought about it. Honestly,
0: like, I'm now realizing, like, in this moment, how much this movie and maybe even the Vampire Chronicles itself inspired this Hannibal TV show. Because I've often said there's no two fictional characters I've wanted to see have sex more than Hannibal Lecter and Will Graham. Until I saw oh. this movie. Like, I wanted Lestat and Louis to bang. I wanted Louis and Armand to bang. I wanted Louis, Lestat, and Armand to bang. I wanted them to have a big vampire threesome. Maybe even with more theatrical vampires. <laughs> 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 it was so sexy. And they're all like, Tom Cruise, I don't know that I would consider like a sex symbol necessarily. He's more of like a a charisma hero. I
1: think he was. Hero. But yeah, but like, I could see Brad that Pitt too.
0: and Antonio Banderas, those men are sex. Those men are to be had sex with. <laughs> they are the sexiest men.
1: And especially like in the 90s when this happened, like the three of those guys were incredibly mm. super sexy star power. Yeah. They-, they did fabulous in their roles too, but like you can tell that, yeah, they were also picked because they were huge headliners as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just and- fanning myself this whole movie. <laughs>
1: So I am not an expert on Anne Rice's books or, like, the mythology with her vampires whatsoever. But I was looking up, like, some other, like, pieces of people talking about the differences. Because I want to know, like, what's the difference with the adaptation? What are these like? Mm -hmm. And so they got into it a bit. And I think, like, her vampires are, like, somebody described them as they're asexual but, like, biromantic. Because, like, they don't Mm -hmm. reproduce or anything the same way. So they don't really have, like, a sexual drive the way that humans do. So it's like they're they're sexy and drink blood in lieu of that or something. So that's why it's so hype, which I thought was interesting because they're like trying to make connections with people in different ways than I guess you would as a mortal human with different drives and desires. That's true. I guess Yeah, that tracks. It's it's
0: it's almost it's such a like one to one metaphor Uh that like and also I would kind of argue that like this is my biggest problem with the movie is like Armand's motivation. It's like metaphor Mm. made tacit. Like, uh, and to to say that, like, the metaphor for sexuality in this vampire business is very clear, right? They are penetrating. They are uh, expelling juices on each other. They are uh, coupling. You know, they talk so much about, like, having consorts and they literally make a child together. It is both of them together who made Claudia. Uh, It's all, like, very on the surface. Mm -hmm. And the struggle that I had with Armand's character specifically is that, like, He is, uh, I've heard this referred to as the superhero, like, I must, the city needs me problem. Like, Hmm. this city needs me is a kind of intangible, ephemeral, like, what do you mean? What exactly, like, what actions do you take to save the city? Versus, like, Batman saying, uh, there's a bomb on this boat and I have to get it off before the Joker blows up these citizens. Like, that's a tangible Hmm. thing. Armand's motivation to change with the times and pull louis in with him and change with the times it it's so vague it's like what does that mean what do you how are you articulating that like are they gonna start a podcast together (laughs) like what does it mean to change with the times and so that felt that was a little frustrating to me it was like we like when we're dealing in the metaphorical dream world of story i i see that that is what he wants he wants a vampire who doesn't have to be cruel all the time. But in the tangible story aspect, it's like I want him to say like my vampire theater people are killing too many people and you seem like you'll kill less people, so there'll be more people to come to our plays. Like I that's a very bad idea, but I want I wanted a tangible something for Armand to get Brad Pitt on his side.
1: Yeah, it does feel a little vague when he's trying to rope him in essentially. And I think there's also something to be said about how they seem to have an instant attraction as well. So, like, that's a big part of it.
0: Even that, I would, like, like, I've got a connection with you, so come be with me. Like, I want to be with you would be more tangible and realistic. Because, like,
1: that's that's very sort of implied, but, yeah, it's not as overtly, like, said until later. Or it's, like, Claudia saying that to be, like, he wants you, and you want him, and you're going to leave him. Like, Mm -hmm. you're devoted to me, but... despite how devoted to me you are, you want to be with him, but you won't admit it. And I was like, if she hadn't said that, I wouldn't have gotten that vibe Hmm. from him (laughs) because neither of them (laughs) said anything or really did any sort of actions because they're just kind of like vaguely meeting each other from the first time and vibing.
0: This, I would say, is like maybe... Why I was initially like, I'm not sure if I like this movie. I just feel like there are some very fundamental, like, story problems. And, like, Claudia's specific reaction to that whole thing feels a little unearned. I was a little iffy on Brad Pitt's whole deal at the beginning. (laughs) Like, he's mourning his family and wants to die. And then Lestat asks him, do you want to live forever? And he says yes right away. I was like, does he? And and then we kind of just move on and it's fine. And I think this movie is really, really carried... By its performance and its performance is, and its like general vibe. It's just like such an interesting, fun little vibe uh, that I I am kind of enamored with.
1: Yeah, I think also probably some of it is lost in translation to the extent like with Claudia's reaction there. I'm sure in the books it's probably like a lot more overt and over the top and like Mm -hmm. explained. So then that makes sense. But when you're trying to you know, pare down things for a two-hour movie. You can't have every single scene. And so that feels like they should have kept just one more thing there for for that scene. And it probably got, like, cut along the way. With Louis, though, in the beginning, it kind of made me think, like, he was just done with this world because of his wife and child dying. And Mm -hmm. so the opportunity to step into a new world or be done with this old life to see if there's something beyond the pain he felt, like, maybe that's why Mm -hmm. he decided to give in as opposed to like living forever when he thought he wanted to die.
0: I like that. I can get a, I can get on board with that. That feels like a reasonable.
1: Yeah, like that's kind of that's kind of how I read it, I guess, but I could totally mm-hmm. see how it just one to one is like, wait a minute, weren't didn't you want to like die for realsies? <laughs> like,
0: what? Yeah. You still know, like you're still thinking about wife and daughter, which feels like the thing you're upset about.
1: Yeah, which the strange thing is is that that doesn't exist in the book, Mikey. Like it's weird he doesn't have a wife and daughter and the thing that he's mourning is his brother who died who also Hmm. like his brother was weird his brother like had some sort of mental break and was like oh i've been given messages from god so you need to sell the plantation and give me the money so i can go and spread god's message Hmm. and louis was like um no and he was like well okay (laughs) then and fell off a balcony and so he blames himself i guess for his brother's suicide Okay. Or possibly accidental death. And so that was the impetus, which is way less I think the movie made a much better choice to have him have like yeah. a, a wife and child he was dedicated to that died from like That's a good no tweak. fault of his own, I guess. It's a much well, better. And especially choice in my because
0: opinion. so much of this relationship hinges on the Claudia connection. Like he yes, lost a daughter exactly. and therefore he gets a new daughter. And of course that would be like which is why it feels so gross from Lestat. It's so manipulative yeah, because he knows so... how close this is going to hit him.
1: But also. Yeah, and he's like, he knows that he couldn't leave her. Like, there's no way he could.
0: That relationship between Louis and Claudia is very sweet. And I It's so cute. I do They're too. They're good little parent buddies. They're parent yeah. buddies.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And so the real life uh inspiration for this too is that like Anne Rice wrote this after she lost her own very small daughter to uh oh. I think it's le- leukemia possibly I could be wrong but it was like a disease that came on suddenly and took her life. So like she wrote this when she was like in a fit of grief which uh sure. makes sense. It definitely comes through in very many ways.
0: That's fascinating. It that almost makes it like I've heard it said – you know, I haven't seen any of the Twilight movies just because they haven't crossed my path, not because I have anything against them necessarily. But I have mm-hmm. often heard it said that that series is kind of like a wish fulfillment. It's the author, like, wants a man to look at her the way uh, Edward Cullen looks at Kristen Stewart. Kirsten Stewart.
1: Uh-huh. And um, – Her name is Bella. Mikey. I didn't know her name. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, it was, and I felt bad. I was like, why do I know? Why no, do I you know haven't Disney? even watched
1: it. You You literally said you hadn't watched the movie. I'm surprised you even Edward why do I know Edward Cullen? That's insane. <laughs> yeah.
0: Bella, yes. Bella Swan. I also know her name. I'm there smart. <laughs> at pop culture. Uh, but hearing that, hearing that Anne Rice lost a daughter and wrote a story that kind of has it built in to be some wish fulfillment, right? You get a daughter forever that no matter what, she's going to stay with you. And to still write this
1: yeah, but Horrific even then you can. Killing. Well, I think because yeah, that's sh- that's the grief that she felt, and like Louis says about how it, like his heart died with her as mm-hmm. well. So like he kind of sure. couldn't go on after that. So I think very much that embodies like, just well now you're you're immortal and you're going to carry that grief for the end of time now because it doesn't go yeah. away because that's how much you care about a parent cares about their child.
0: There is it, it does feel very truthful to write something that like gives you the opportunity to get what you want and to mm-hmm. still say no the truth is we lose these things that we care about and yeah therefore it's up to us to figure out how to go forward like she was writing our truth and i really respect that that's great
1: yeah and i think also because they are immortal there's a whole thing about like how do you find meaning in your existence when you know time doesn't mean the same thing thing to you anymore when relationships don't mean the same thing because you live outside of the normal pace of life and death now. Like, Mm -hmm. what is your point? And Armand even says, like, most vampires who get to be pretty old end up just taking themselves out because they can't live with it anymore. And that's one of the reasons why he's gravitating towards Louis because he's like, well, you'll give me a different perspective and then, like, Mm -hmm. I can teach you in kind. So, you know, we can kind of help each other out here.
0: And you're very hot.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) The way they, like, almost kiss and Brad Pitt is like, Asso- essentially just, like, fucking with him to be like, yeah, I know you want me to kiss you, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Take that. Now I'm I'm out.
0: So cool. <laughs> Roxy, we've been talking about a lot of it already, but what would you say overall is the big idea of this movie? What deep human fear does interviewer with the vampire poke
1: at? Oh, man. Um, I... I think we kind of touched on it already, yeah. Like, there's a lot of complexity to many different characters and many different threads and relationships here, so it's kind of hard for me, I think, to tamp down, like, what is the most overt, but I guess in a way kind of like searching for your existence, whether you are a mortal or mortal, trying to find what that is and kind of trying to make that matter to you, Mm -hmm. I guess, no matter what comes your way. That felt like maybe the most overarching thing. Because, like, at the end, we have Christian Slater's character who is like, well, I want to be a vampire. And Brad Pitt's like, <laughs> you literally didn't listen to what I said about how this is yeah. suffering. Like, <laughs> you-
0: Bad she- times. Vampire yeah. over here.
1: Um, so I think that's kind of what I got from it. Aside from just, like, <laughs> yeah, the grief of people you've lost, like, holding on to that. I don't know. Kind of makes their deaths matter. Yeah. In a way, it, so that you don't forget them. Like, I'm not really sure if that's really enough to be pulled into the theme of it. I don't know. I feel like I'm babbling. What What do you think, Mikey? What What was your takeaway?
0: I, I hit two big fears with this. And the okay. first one was this idea of, like, codependent relationships. Being in a relationship with somebody and being unable to grow beyond them. Mm-hmm. I think that the the reason Brad Pitt is the hero of this movie is because he is able to grow beyond this need to have a more powerful vampire to, like, curl up with. He starts Mm -hmm. with Lestat. He can't get over Lestat. He's constantly, like, pulled back in. He knows that this is horrifying. He knows he doesn't want to kill people, and Lestat is not respecting that. Uh, He doesn't want to turn other people to vampires to condemn them to hell, and Lestat does that. Like, he can't get away from Lestat, and then by going through this journey and realizing that, like, I have to be my own self. I have to move beyond this. He is able to rebuke Armand and eventually tell Lestat, like, no, you hang out here in this house by yourself until you die. Um, yeah. I think that's very interesting and and powerful for me. The other big one that I don't think they get into, <laughs> they simultaneously get into too much and not enough, is this idea mm-hmm. of changing of the times, right? It opens mm-hmm. with Brad Pitt giving this interview with a vampire to Christian Mm -hmm. Slater and saying like, you have to remember the times were different back then. I was a slave owner. (laughs) So right away, I was like, not really on your side. It's really kind of a feat that they uh, make me love Louis so much when it's like, oh yeah, he's a slave owner, but it's about the changing of the times that was acceptable in those times. What's different in uh, each time period that they start to go through, like in a plague time period, maybe it's, Kind to murder a child when her parents are both killed by disease, which maybe makes it even more evil to turn her into a vampire. He's looking at this almost as a mercy killing. And then this idea that like vampires are moving forward and Armand doesn't know how to deal with it. And he's just like, maybe we have to figure out a way to integrate is this like big question that like is again a metaphor for death. Like, as the times change, the older generation has to die out too, which is why it like makes so much sense that our mod would say, yeah, a bunch of vampires take themselves out because they no longer fit with the world anymore yeah this idea of like figuring out how to and stuck
1: in their way i guess that's that's what kind of hit me about what you were saying Like this, they're not willing to change this
0: idea of like search for meaning like you have to yeah. search for meaning and then you find it and then that meaning changes you know you find your vampire family with Lestat and claudia and then that meaning changes and then it's it's time like i think this is even how claudia puts it it's time to let Lestat go the times yeah. have changed. So, like, that's very frightening to me. Like, it's so hard to find your purpose, and then you find it, and then the world changes, and you've got to find a whole different purpose?
1: Are you kidding me? Yeah, which I think, like, us being mortal, that's a lot more terrifying. But if you're immortal, you have all the time in the world to then find your purpose.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You know? And, also, and then
1: when that changes.
0: We have the advantage of once the times change and it's time for us to find a new purpose, we're old enough to die. Yeah, like you're at different
1: stages it. in your life as well. You know, like when, when you're a kid, you have mm. a different purpose. When you're a teen, you have a different different purpose. When you're an adult, mm-hmm. you have a different purpose. When you're middle-aged, old, dead, you know, like these stages Same in your life. Same as,
0: purpose as adults.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it more or less stops the, changing.
1: Yeah, but it's easier to kind of, like, gauge what you should be doing or what you can expect or things that you are literally physically unable to do or capable of doing, you know, depending on these different stages. Whereas, like, yeah, if you're kind of immutable and you're not changing in that way, if you're not flexible, then, yeah, what eventually that's going to become torture to, like, have everything go past you and, like, not be able to survive in the way that you did before.
0: Chilling. And then you start getting into the Sopranos problem. Like, mm-hmm. the very first episode of The Soprano, or one of the very first episodes of The Sopranos, Tony Soprano says to his therapist, like, you ever feel like you're just getting in right at the end of something? Like, if, it, if mm-hmm. your timing doesn't line up, like, he's becoming the head of the mob right at a time when the mob is losing its power. Especially, mm-hmm. like, that show debuted a year or two before 9-11. And they start talking about that oh. so much in, like, season three. They're like... Yeah, all the FBI anti-crime units have switched over to anti-terrorism. Like, we're kind of not even paying attention to you. It's just like this thing you've grown up your whole life in. You got in right at the end if your timing sucks. Like, Mm -hmm. damn, dude, that's scary. That's so sad to me. It's scary. Yeah. Mm, Tough times. Roxy, (laughs) do you have a question for me?
1: Yes, I, I have a question for you. So, Lestat loves saying that he's giving people the choice he never had. <laughs> loves <laughs> to say that. So, Mikey, given the choice, would you become a vampire? So, my very first thought
0: is no. I've watched the movie Interview with the Vampire.
1: Mm-hmm. But here's something that, like,
0: once they started talking about how some vampires take themselves out, I was like, what? What's Brad Pitt's problem? Uh, you could still die. <laughs> you can yeah. Still- extend your life as long as you want and then just go be in the sun and you still are dead. So like, what's the problem when you get like, give it a shot, give vampirism a shot. I would say, yes, I would want to make sure that I had done everything I could do in my life. I would want to have, mm-hmm. it's like when you buy a new video game, you play through it first once without any cheat codes. And then for like new game plus you have a rocket launcher. Like that's kind of how vampirism feels to me. Vampirism is new <laughs> game plus for life.
1: Yeah, that's actually a pretty pretty good description. Actually, I've never heard it described <laughs> that way, but now I'm never yeah. going to be able to forget it. I,
0: I just thought um, of it, and I like it a lot. How about you? Would you get vampirism in your blood?
1: Oh, yeah, 110%, yes. Really? Yeah. We made so much I, fun
0: of Christian Slater. <laughs> wanting to be No, I mean, he had do the right idea of
1: it. Uh, I don't think he asked the right way, and he was just kind of like, I'm just entranced by this. Like, he didn't really seem to have a plan mm. to be like... I want to do this for actual tangible reasons. He's just like, man, this is a cool story and you're a cool guy. I want to be a cool guy.
0: Christian Slater (laughs) is totally the character. His character in this movie is the kind of guy who like buys a house without thinking about how he's gonna make the payments.
1: Yeah, and also just like Like, if you're trying to convince Brad Pitt, who told you that story with the kind of melancholy resignation that he did, (laughs) like maybe don't come at him that way if you want him to accept it.
0: (laughs) Read the room, dude.
1: Yeah, he t- he couldn't read the room. But yeah, you get to be young, beautiful, powerful. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, you got all the time in the world to do stuff. It would suck that you would have to murder people, but I think that you could come up with a way to. Like there's plenty of other vampire media that does this where you just feed on a person but don't kill them. Like you can do that. Yeah. You don't have to kill them. <laughs> just find Absolutely. some Cuban friends who are fine with it. And
0: You've Uh, got all that time, you can finally write a novel? Are you kidding me? Yeah! Yeah. You
1: can write multiple novels, Mikey!
0: The books
1: that would be written,
0: you're doing the world a service by becoming a vampire.
1: Yeah, you can travel. The way they get to, like, travel and go anywhere, and, like, you don't have to worry about sickness. You don't have to worry about, like, so many other resources and things that you would if you're mortal. You just got to make sure you stay out of the sun, which sucks. But then Brad Pitt even brings up the point, like, hey, once there's movies and stuff, then you can see it, even if you can't experience it the same way. Also, I don't go out in the sun anyway, and I'm not a vampire. I like being inside. I'm an outdoor kid. It wouldn't be that much of a change. (laughs) And just the idea that you could do immortal road trips with your friends around the world, with your vampire (laughs) friends. Like, that's so much fun. I want to do that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing with road trips. Eventually, you get sick of them, and you're like, oh, I got to get back to work. If you're a vampire, you don't have to get back to work. Yeah, you don't have to fucking go
1: to work as a vampire. That's another good thing, too. You don't have to work, and you've got all the time in the world to, like, amass money or get money from people. I don't know. You figure it out.
0: Dude i want to be a vampire now now that we're talking me about too. this
1: can we be vampire hey if there's any vampires listening to this open invitation hey, me and vampires, my cat can join reach you reach out
0: <laughs> <laughs> dms <laughs> are open <laughs> to vampires
1: i think also these vampires too like they they keep their soul like i don't know if you watch buffy at all or like plenty mm. of other incarnations like in buffy when you become a vampire you literally lose your soul and become like evil <laughs> I guess It's that's a big it. deal this... when one of the characters is a vampire and does have his soul, and then he's, like, tortured and hates everything.
0: <laughs> hmm. um, I, I think there's, like, the physical transformation, too. Like, this movie is right on the line of physical yeah. transformations I could handle. If we start turning into, like, Nosferatu-style vampires, yeah. then I would say, no, I want to stay sexy.
1: Exactly, yeah. The sexiness is part of it. Like, you just become beautiful. Like, I think it's, it's specifically when you see Kristen Dunn's transformation to, like, decaying plague child- to then, like, <laughs> beautiful Shirley Temple, full face of makeup <laughs> and curls. Uh, if they really
0: look. wanted to drive home this idea that turning into a vampire makes you attractive, they should have had Louie played before he's bitten by Tom Cruise by, like, Bob Hoskins. They should have just had some weird <laughs> dumpy guy. <laughs> and then he turns into Brad Pitt and everybody's like, yeah, I get it. I yeah. get it. <laughs> Roxy, on a scale between one and nine, since the number 10 does not exist in the scary basement, how likely are the events of Interview with a Vampire to happen in real life?
1: So I said eight out of nine mm. because uh, the toxic relationships in this movie absolutely happen every That's day true. to people. Um, but vampires, I'm going to knock off one one point for that. Just one. Sure, yeah. Because the toxic relationships are just that powerful. <laughs> That's a one-point deduction for sure. <laughs> yeah. What about you? Um, I said
0: three because okay. here's my thing. These vampires, so much of this movie hinges on this idea that is like, oh, we are immortal and we'll never end and we will never die. And then when we see Brad Pitt, like, burning them down and chopping them up, I'm just like, mm-hmm. how are these vampires not constantly, like, fucking up well how are they not accidentally stepping in the sun or waking up too early and getting out of their coffin and not realizing there's a sunbeam on them like or falling into wood chippers you know what i mean like there's so many ways that you could still (laughs) screw up and get killed in this particular line of vampirism that i just feel like we wouldn't be getting all of these people struggling with how to deal with the times i think it'd be dying about as much as we die now
1: yeah they don't really talk about how like you know a vampire slips and falls into a sunbeam and then just roasts to death even after he's had right. like this giant monologue and <laughs> his storied history it's existed since like medieval times
0: it's too bad that it's like it's so easy to it's simultaneously so easy to kill these vampires and also it their whole thing is struggling with the immortality aspect of it not buying it all right roxy <laughs> last week we made a bet how many mm-hmm. neck bites would there be? And I remember we made a specific criteria. We would have to see the teeth, we would have to see the neck, and we have to see the puncture. Mm-hmm. I said that there would be four bites.
1: I said 25.
0: The answer, by my count, again, a lot of uh off-screen neck bites. Yeah. A lot of wrist biting instead of neck biting to begin the bloodletting process. I counted 10. 10, okay. Four neck bites. Um, I was off by six, you were off by fifteen. Fifteen. Which
1: means
0: I'm taking home the point.
1: All right. Right now for Mikey.
0: The total bet score is Roxy with twenty-five, Mikey with twenty-two, Ty with two. Something will happen at thirty. Mm. Could be good or bad. I have a vampire <laughs> uh, neck biting question for you. And it's something I've uh, always wondered d- you about. You do?
1: Okay. What? I
0: do. Are the vampire teeth sharp? So that they can pierce the blood and then blood starts trickling out that they can just like then suck up? Or are the teeth like little injector needles that like you push them in and then the blood gets sucked up through the teeth?
1: Yeah, like they're like straws or something.
0: Yeah, are there little tiny holes in the points of vampire teeth?
1: That's a good question. Like, I've seen it done both ways, honestly. I think the way I've seen most often, though, is just they're sharp to start the blood flowing. I think. And then you just stuck it out <laughs> after that. But it seems much less efficient than the hollow teeth design. Hollow teeth design seems way, way more efficient vampires.
0: Right. I'm trying like that would certainly be cleaner. I'm wondering if kind of yeah. the point is that like it's fun to see these uh, sexy aristocrat like um, members of the upper crust than like with their chin all covered in blood. If, if that's kind of the point. But also yeah, just it's like, like
1: kind of showing them to be like a beast or like a monster a lot more clearly. Yeah.
0: That's for sure. And Roxy, speaking of beasts and monsters and robots, here he comes stomping on over the demon bot. More efficient. How long have you been in the scary basement and don't know that the average human blood is under over 2 psi of pressure leading to a velocity after puncture or slicing of more than 100 feet per second with death from exsanguination coming in less than 15 seconds?
1: Uh. Teeth straws.
0: Bah. Anyway, next week you must watch the 2000 film Ginger Snaps. So, Roxy, we've got to watch the movie Ginger Snaps next time.
1: All right, Ginger Snaps, we got some uh, werewolf sisters to hang out with <laughs> next week. Ooh,
0: I like a werewolf. Werewolves and vampires feel like they're always, like, intertwined. I like this as a um, yin and yang.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, we mentioned Twilight earlier. They're probably the most recent popularization sure. of that, but that's been going on long before that even was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Mikey, since we're going to be watching a movie about werewolves, how about we make a bet about werewolf transformations? Ooh, so like how, many, how many werewolf transformations do you think there are going to be in this movie total?
0: You know, uh, I hadn't really considered this aspect of it. Are we saying, like, transformations total or number of characters who will transform into a werewolf?
1: Transformations total. So it could be, like, the same character Ooh. who transforms multiple times. It's just and you know what? different iterations. I'm going to go kind of high. I'm going to say eight. Eight werewolf Eight. transformations. Okay. I think I'm going to go lower this time because I man swung out of the park last week. Uh, so I'm just going to say five.
0: Five. No, that's five. A good. Number. All right. The bet's locked in. Roxy, we've been talking about a lot of scary things vampires, bloodletting, uh, intercourse. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about something that's making us happy. What's been making you feel a little uh, joy, 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 joy down in your heart? What down in your heart to stay?
1: Um. So this this thing that I chose this week is also kind of spooky. I'd say. Ooh. It is the Mystery Flesh Pit National Park. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh i watched wendy goon's video about it it's like about an hour long we'll have it in the show notes but it's essentially like this collaborative online story that people have made about this fake national park that is literally inside of like a giant creature so there's like different zones there's like literally a gift shop there's like an (laughs) elevator that goes down into the creature and so there's like hot springs there's different things you can like investigate it, it would also be, like, perfect. Wendy Goom brings this up in his video, but it would be perfect to make a video game adaptation for this because literally, like, there's mm. these phones that you use to call, like, within the narrative that they've come up with that would be save points. Those would be perfect save points.
0: I love it's this. Like, and so it's, it's like, collaborative fiction?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, like, a collaborative fiction project. And there's, like, a website with a bunch of logos that people have made and, like, fake history and all these different characters that were a part of it. And it's, like, closed now because literally, like, this creature that they don't even understand, it's, like, very kind mm. of Lovecraftian in a way, or, like, cosmic horror in a way, where it's just, like, there's this giant creature under the surface. We don't know how far it goes. This And mm. the fact that it's not really even reacting to this, like, us literally, like, drilling into it and making a public attraction out of it. <laughs> like, it, it's so big it doesn't even care or notice about that. Um And mm. it gets shut down ultimately because it, like, I know either coughed or like moved slightly and it just like decimates the entire thing. Like it's so gigantic, (laughs) but they're still like adding to it and developing it. And I'm sure like Wendy Goon's original video was like about a year ago. So I'm really excited to see, like get the update on like where it is now, Mm. like in a couple of years or something to see how much more it's expanded. So it's just a really cool thing to see people making a collaborative story together. And it's like this really weird off the wall concept. Uh, it has like a lot of thought and care put into it, and I just think it's it's real neat. That is neat. I love it. What about you, Mikey? What's uh, been making you happy this week? I'll tell
0: you what's making me happy, Roxy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what's
0: up? I w- have been rewatching the television show Community. They made a reference. Nice.
1: You love Community, Mikey.
0: It's. I think it's like the first amongst equals. I always say that I have my favorite show of all time is Lost. And then I have like 35 Mm -hmm. second favorite shows of all time. I think Community is Mm -hmm. first amongst equals. I love Community so much. It's a huge influence on how I write. There's a late episode where they make reference to a movie called Chariots of Fire. And I went and watched this movie. And it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. It won the best picture in like 1981. Uh, It's about these two men, Eric Liddell and Harold Abrams, who are runners in the 1920s and Mm. are going to the Olympics for Britain. It's a very British movie. Okay. And it's this really lovely story about how running can be the thing that defines you, the way they put it in the movie that I think is so beautiful and is slowly becoming like a catchphrase of mine. Is Hmm. um, one character, Eric Liddell, one half of the the two co-leads of the movie, is also considering going into the seminary to be a priest. And his sister is deeply religious. And she is like, I'm worried about your soul if you keep running because you have this calling. You have this calling to go be religious with God and you're ignoring it to run. And he pulls her aside and he just says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. And to not run would be to deny him, and I just love that phrasing of like, it's because that's the thing. It's kind of (laughs) gross.
1: Yeah, that phrasing is weird to me.
0: (laughs) When I run, I feel God's erection.
1: Yeah, like what sidling up against me.
0: But this really, it's this really beautiful phrase that, like, to me sums up like why I love writing so much, why you love drawing, like why people can love being a a doctor or a paramedic or a, 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 I don't know, a pharmacist. I don't know why I just went medical for my little (laughs) run of threes there. But we all find these things that, that give us, that let us feel God's pleasure. And I think that's so lovely. And the movie is really great. It's the movie that the famous like Olympic, like I thought it was the Olympics theme and it's not um i did too we talked about this
1: very briefly yeah i i had always thought this was just like yeah they just played it at at the olympics right that's why that song exists when people run but no it's this movie it's from
0: this movie (laughs) yeah and i'll I'll put the link and hopefully it'll be playing over this entire segment okay
1: i was gonna say you want to do a rendition of it here
0: (laughs) yeah i got it (laughs) do 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 do
1: do 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 yeah, that's been used in, like, so much media, like, afterwards. It's just like, I've never seen this movie, but I know that exactly.
0: Right. It's The Simpsons' problem. It's it, It's been parodied so much that you assume it's just ubiquitous as opposed to coming from a specific thing.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: What a great movie. It moved me.
1: That's beautiful, Mikey. Roxy, it's
0: time now for Haunted Plugs. Oh, Where can people find you on the internet?
1: So I'm on Twitter, at Roxy Polk, and I'm on Twitch Also, Roxy Polk, so real easy to find me, guys.
0: You can also find me on Twitter and on Twitch at Mikey McCollar. Also, make sure to give us five stars. Five scary stars. Or leave a review. And remember to share.
1: And scare.
0: The podcast with your friends. That's going to do it for us this week. And as always, don't sign any contracts offered to you by Demon Robots.